Hi there. Welcome to Creation Station Monthly. I'm Bob from Creation Station. This is our monthly creative program where we talk about two creative people in a creative field. I know that's a lot of creating, don't don't you think around here? This month we are dealing with uh we're wrapping up our Veterans Day, Veterans Month stuff that we've been doing and we picked prosthetics and devices to talk about. And we've got some two really interesting people here that I want to share this with, so I'm going to bring them right up right now. Alan, you're from down here in South Florida. Tell us about where you are from and what you're doing. Uh, well, originally I'm from a small town in New York, a place called the Bronx, and <laughs> uh, came down to South Florida in 1990. I retired from my job up in New York then and went into the real estate field. And then about almost 13 years ago, developed an infection in my leg and ended up becoming an amputee which led to me becoming an amputee counselor and an advocate. And then like everything I do in life, I go full force into anything I do. So there's not much, I've actually done an internship in our lab. Um, I participate in building my own prosthesis. But the biggest thing that I do is I counsel military and civilian amputees, either just prior to them becoming an amputee or golf a bit after a trauma. And you didn't even mention it's it's South Beach Prosthetic Company. You got to mention the name of the place. Oh yeah, we want to get you guys in here for it. They're my big sponsor. They're yeah. the ones to get me out in front of people. And, and Marina, and, tell us about yours. What your guys are doing up there? Because you're nowhere sure. near here in South Florida, as we mentioned in the pre not really. No, it's about thirty degrees up here right now. A little different. Oh. From I work for a small company called FDR Center for Prosthetics and Orthotics. And I'm a certified prosthetist orthotist. I've been doing this for about nine years now. I have a degree in mechanical and biomedical engineering and then decided that I didn't really want to sit at a desk all day. And so I went into a field where I didn't have to, and it's been really wonderful. Alan, it sounds like your experience down there in South Florida has been really interesting. I'd love to hear more about what you do with your amputee patients. Well, the nice part about the uh, South Beach platform, we're a mobile company. Um, <laughs> The uh, owner is a very innovative gentleman. He originally started off lots of years ago with Hanger, which everybody, if you're in the prosthetic industry, they're the Walmart of, of uh, prosthetics. But uh, we actually go and service our patients at their homes. That's fantastic. Yep. And when I became an amputee, I became a patient of South Beach. And one day the owner. And Alan, that's been going on for a while now, I'm guessing, right? It hasn't been yeah. something new during the pandemic that you started going to people's homes. You've just been doing this all along. We've been doing this for 15 years. This was what he started the company. He left Hanger, started his own company. It's a pretty good uh, tale. He started it off in his garage. He's a um, certified orthotist, prosthetist. He's still hands on. We're, we're a pretty big company now. We service uh, half the state of Florida now. We have, I believe we're up to 10 offices. At one time we had yeah. almost 20 throughout the state, but like all things, they get scaled back, especially with the pandemic. Yeah. And that's, so you guys have both mentioned, I'm going to let you go Marina and tell us, okay, you said you have a degree in what and explain that to us. What actually is that degree in? Because does that question. sound like cybernetics to me? <laughs> So I have a, I, I majored in mechanical and biomedical engineering in college. And then these days, in order to become a prosthetist orthotist, 
So that's kind of two halves of the same field. Prosthetics is where you're making limbs for people who have lost their limb, arms and legs, and sometimes fingers and partial feet. And then orthotics is bracing for people whose limbs don't work correctly or have some type of deformity or pain that you're trying to support. So that that um, degree is actually a master's degree now. So okay, you need nice. to have a master's degree on top of a bachelor's degree and whatever you want. There were people in my class who had done massage therapy, physical therapy, um, mechanical engineering, like me. I think a lot of people are coming into it from engineering these days. In the olden days, you only needed a, a certification. Um, you could get it at a number of different places. Nowadays, they're requiring that master's degree. So I do have a master's as well. Nice. Two years of residency, take a bunch of exams, and then you can add that CPO after your name. And uh, residency is a pretty intensive thing. We um we have a residency program at South Beach. We um actually a lot of the students from the St. Petersburg School mm -hmm. in South Florida, which is the there's only one here in Florida, I believe. Um and we take on you know, at least two to three students every cycle. You know, I think the breakdown is you need one CPO for two students in order to have a residency program. Um, and fortunately for us, our residents stayed on as prosthetist orthotists with us, but it's a separate residency for each program. Uh, prosthetists have to do a two year residency in prosthetics. And then if they want, they can switch over to orthotics and do a residency in orthotics. But eventually you have to do both somewhere down the road. Yeah, these mm -hmm. days people become a CPO, so they do both of those things. Yeah, it just makes you so, a little bit better candidate for a job. So tell me about what's the difference in between somebody who, for a prosthetic, I think when we say the word prosthetic, a lot of people are just thinking, like you were mentioning, missing limbs or something like that. But what's really the difference in between a prosthetic and uh, an assistive device? Uh, I'm thinking along the lines of a, a lot of the stuff I do with augmented reality, virtual reality, and, and doing specialty glasses and stuff like that that are really enhancing what you already have, whereas you're doing something that replaces or does it. We try. <laughs> Arena is, is probably the expert, but if I was to give a layman's uh, advice, if you ever saw somebody walking and as they lift their foot, your toe drags along the ground, it's called drop foot. And something like that would be an orthotic or what they call an ankle foot orthotosis. And basically it's a brace that would go on that foot to help support the foot from walking. And obviously a prosthetic, or I wear a prosthesis, my first prosthetist corrected me because I said, hey, where's my prosthetic? He goes, I don't know. I don't know what you're talking about. He said, we're in the prosthetic industry, but you wear a prosthesis. And, okay, cool. And I wear a below, I'm a right side below knee amputee. So basically I have about four inches of my lower limb below my knee that's left after surgery. And, and like Marina would do, who's probably an expert at this. She would, depending on what technology she's using, would cast me, make a mold, pull a check socket, fit me. If you're using acrylic, you would make some corrections there, or if you had to make a second one, 
uh, us at South Beach right now, we're into, we do, I call it old school, new school. We're right now um, doing, we still cast people that need it, but when we can, the majority of ours is we're using iPhone, I think 12s for scanning purposes. We have um, where we actually send a signal back and the, the process that's on their um, laptop can modify right at bedside, send it back to our 3D printers. And by the time that person gets their process back to the lab, that check socket's already made. So we've gotten uh, people, matter of fact, if they're willing to come to the lab, we get people, we could do somebody in one day, right from a fitting into a definitive. Pretty cool. To that is, that, that's nice and impressive. But Marina could talk, tell you about the microprocessor stuff, the knees, the feet, the, um, you know, uh, the new age stuff. And that's really cool. I see some of that at the um, veterans, uh, the VA hospitals where they have the newest technology. I mean, it is really where if somebody's uh, what they call a bilateral amputee above knee, where the knees are actually telling the gait or the stride of the previous foot in milliseconds. And then also now we have bionic feet that match up to the knees. Uh, there's a company called, it used to be Endolite Brickford, that actually has uh, bionic feet and knees that actually talk to each other. So it's pretty, the technology is getting off the charts. Marina, we're in science fiction territory here now. Tell us We're about getting it. there. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. So now, how, where yeah. do you draw the line um, as, a, as, a, as a professional in the field? Where do you draw the line from repair of something to enhancement slash replacement versus advantages? Um, I'm thinking uh, the most famous example is probably uh, the South African sprinter in the Olympics, you know, who had the blades instead of regular feet. Um, everybody kind of knows that image in their back of their head, probably. Where do you, where does the industry kind of draw a line right now, or where do you think about that space? It's a good question. I think these days most prosthetics are still what we call passive devices. So if you think about a carbon fiber spring, that's what most prosthetic feet are. You you put weight into it, it deforms the spring, and then gives you back just about as much energy as you gave it. So you're okay. not increasing the amount of force that you're giving someone in their stride. Um, but there are devices that are coming out on the market that are actually powered, where you have a battery and a motor that actually gives you that push off that your muscle, your calf muscle would do for you. And the same thing with there, there's a knee called the power knee that does that as well. So there are. So are they trying to just make those e human equivalents, or are you going beyond? At this point, mostly just human equivalent. If you think about somebody who's a unilateral amputee, so they have an amputation on one side and a regular leg on the other, the idea is to make you as symmetric as possible, so that you don't wear out the bones that are left in your body. Gotcha. Yeah. I had the opportunity to wear uh, the first bionic foot. It was made by Biome, and it was the first yeah. generation. It's in the uh, Smithsonian, I guess, because of its new cutting edge. Me personally, I'm old school. I wear a, um, a Freedom Agilix foot, which is a um, high level, what we call K K3, which is a way we measure somebody's ability to walk. And that there, when you put 
like Marina said, I apply a certain amount of energy to that foot and it pushes back and it helps me propel myself. Um, I happen to like the carbon fiber. I'm a bad, you ever, only thing bad about the newest technology that has battery operation and how many times did you wake up in the morning, uh, Robert, and find out you didn't plug your cell phone in or your iPad and now yeah. you're on a dead battery. So having a microprocessor knee that's in default mode really is more of a hindrance than a help. Yeah, I'm, 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 I was kind of just thinking we were past that, though. I was kind of thinking like, you know, regenerating, you know, tr recharging the battery as you walk or something like that. That's, yeah. are we, are, we're not to that yeah. point yet with things? Not quite, no. Ah. I know, right? Somebody, somebody out there, come up with this. <laughs> oh, I'm certain it's out there. So I want, I want to jump into a totally different side of this for you guys both personally. Um, tell us about how did you get into this field or being creative when you were younger doing this kind of stuff? Because this takes a special spark. I mean, for both of you guys, it's 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 doing something along those lines, whether it's becoming mechanical or whatever. But was it something, what else was going on in your life that made it feel interesting for you to go out and do? Was it something that a parent inspired you or something or whatever? I, in my own life, as a quick anecdote, uh, both my grandparents were blind. And so we just grew up knowing, okay, you're going to help around the house. You're going to help take care of these things. But they can do stuff. This is—they're not invalids. They—they they are running their lives, um, and it's the same kind of thing. I imagine that some people get in this field where, oh, now you need to be fixed, quote unquote. But tell me, wh where did that come from, Marina? For me, so my my father is um, an electrical engineer. My stepmom is a mechanical engineer, and my mother is a social worker. So nice. Yeah. So I always grew up playing with Legos and connects and building things. Um, and I love that aspect of being creative, of taking something and kind of making it your own. I got really into origami in high school. I did a lot of unit origami, designing my own patterns. And when I got to college studying engineering, I realized that I wanted to do something that would really help people. I was working as an EMT at the time and thinking about going into medicine but I actually was cold calling companies looking for um, an internship and a prosthetics company allowed me to shadow them for a day. And it was fantastic. Everything that I wanted out of a career, this great combination of engineering and medicine and art all rolled into one. Yeah, and it, that, that is just one of those things that I wonder about. I mean, I, in doing some research for this, yeah, that whole art aspect really comes up uh here in prosthetics and that uh t yeah, tell us about that alan yeah well yeah for me, for me personally it wasn't something in my younger years i meant um i have a mechanical background i was a part owner of a machine shop um here in fort lauderdale but not until i actually had limb loss in uh 2008 that um it occurred to me that there was a movie years ago pay it forward um, on the back of my business card, it says there is life after loss of limb. I mean, everybody that I try to meet and influence in this industry or and my uh, patients is that there is going to it's going to happen whether due to trauma, disease, um, a birth defect, but you can get beyond it in the sense that 
it's me, I'm the eternal optimist. You ever hear that story? Is the glass half full or half empty? With me, you can, my wife is probably laughing behind me, but I'm, my glass is always full. No matter what turmoil you have, um, and I guess my whole life, though, I've been a give back. Um, I did real estate originally in Florida before I became in the prosthetic industry, so 12, 13 years ago. But I also volunteered with my local fire department as a first responder. Um, and when I had lost a limb, the funny story there is the fire chief, and it's not a small city in Pompano, came to my uh, hospital to let me know, we're going to find something for you to do you know, when you get out of here. And I looked at him and I said, what's fine, Dal? I'm going to recertify and I'll be a first responder. He laughed, he giggled, he thought it was a great idea. Yeah, well, I, re I did recertify. I'm certified to drive their apparatus. Um, we have a um, rescue unit that I'm certified to drive and we can do first aid, everything that, you know, any volunteer would do. And I'm still excellent. doing it. Yep. That is so, an excellent, excellent thing. So now what do you guys think about what society, I mean, right there, because you're both talking about the social aspect of it too. What do you think society thinks about in this field? Do they, do, in your impressions, is it, is it a, a social thing? Is it uh, assistive? I mean, it used to be called assistive devices was the more common term, is at least what I was used to hearing. What do you guys think society thinks about this right now, though, especially with all the veterans that we have that need the assistance? Well, I think in the past years, 20 years ago, it might have been looked as a stigma or a, um, you know, disability. Uh, today, I don't think it's considered, as a matter of fact, my first prosthetist got mad at me when I said, oh, you know, this is a disability that's not a disability. I'm not disabled. She got very uh, uh, angry at me and I said, well, there's nothing wrong with having a disability. It doesn't mean limb loss all the time. PTSD is a disability to veterans, but you're right. With the amount of wars we've had since Vietnam and most war eventually went from killing one soldier or another soldier to maiming and dismembering because that meant somebody died on the battlefield. They they got taken care of after the war, after the battle, but if somebody got wounded, two or three other soldiers had to care for that soldier, especially in, the, in America anyway, we leave nobody behind. So yeah. with that being said, it's, we have so many, if you look at the commercials on TV now, it could be a, a Pepsi commercial, there's gonna be somebody with limb loss in there. Yeah. And it's to me, I have a prosthesis that I could either, well, Marina could tell you, we, we have pretty good cosmetics that we could do to our prosthesis. I have one that I wear when I meet my patients for the first time, but the one I wear, it's a black carbon fiber sock, socket with black pylon and then my Agilix foot. I, uh, a young man saw me, maybe 10 years old, said, hey, Robo. And he says, how nice. is it walking with that foot? And I had to think about it. I've been walking on my prosthesis for nearly 13 years. I don't remember how it is not to walk with it. Uh -huh. It's part of my everyday routine. So I, I don't think there's any stigma anymore. I think actually, you know, people almost, you know, say, oh, wow, that's pretty cool. What do you think, Marina? Because you're the real professional. Yeah. No, I agree with you. I think uh, the tide has turned, at least in the last decade or so, where people are much more interested in prosthetics. They're, they're willing to ask my patients about what's going on with their leg. 
um, especially up here in the Northeast after the Boston Marathon bombings. There was yes. a of press about the amputees um, who very, very unfortunately became amputees because mm -hmm. of that. Um, but I think it really drew people into the field to, to kind of say, you know, what is it like being an amputee and letting people tell their stories, which is nice. Yeah, I, I get a lot of my patients who get um, people coming up to them in the grocery store to say, oh, how'd you lose your leg? And people are more interested now than I think they're stigmatized by nice. being an amputee. And Maureen, I, I want to ask, Alan mentioned, uh, you know, having the black fiber carver, black fiber carbon. Um, I, I, when I was looking up some of this stuff, there's some gorgeous artwork out there now. On, oh, yeah. On some prosthetics. People are doing amazing artwork, Beautiful you know, stuff. tattoo type stuff and things. Mm -hmm. um, how is that up there for you guys? I mean, down here, we're in the big urban setting, you know, everything's around. I think you're a little bit farther out from Boston out there so you're not quite in, in the same setting what's it like up there in, in that kind of area for that are people looking purely at you know just utility i'm going to cover this up with a pant leg anyway or what i'd say it's about 50 50. half of my patients just want a leg that looks like a leg um we can put a cover on a prosthesis nowadays like alan was saying so it, it really it we custom shaped them to make it look exactly like their other leg and nobody knows that they're an amputee but I do have patients, lots of them, who want something fun on their socket. There's a company called Fred's Legs that makes really interesting laminated sleeves that we can laminate into the socket. Flames, rainbow patterns. Cool. A lot of really great eagles, American flags for the mm -hmm. veterans. Yeah, there's some really wonderful things you can do with prosthetics these days to make them really unique and yours. The unfortunate part is in this world right now with insurances, it's harder. Uh, I'm not going to name any particular insurance company, but where me is what we call a K3 ambulator, which is a high level ambulator. They would like to eliminate that category and they fight you tooth and nail. Matter of fact, even when we, we, we offer, and I'm pretty sure Marina's company does the same. Whatever way the patient would like their prosthesis, you know, putting a, a logo in the lamination on the socket is no problem. Um, shaping, I have my other leg, I told you, looks exactly like my left side. And when I walk, and I, when you talk about, I, I don't think I wore pants, but 20 times since I'm down here at night, I wear shorts. It's Florida. Yeah, it's Florida. Yeah. <laughs> and I'll be honest with you. I've always worn my non-cosmetically um, covered leg. Um, Actually, it helps me get across the street. You know how that is, guys? Tell them. Legs, it shows up a little clearer. They don't stop. With my one that looks like RoboCop, they all stop. You can hear the brake screech to let me cross. So it's... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm, I'm guessing that the uh, AI driving uh, is going to notice those two uh, pretty quickly for you. Um, so what what kind of equipment did you guys start with at the beginning? Versus what you're using now, because you both said you've been both doing this for at least 12, 18 years now. So what kind of stuff has it been? Because I know it's been leaps and bounds. I mean, you just casually mentioned 3D printing and scanning with an iPhone and doing I mean, things that 10 years ago, nobody would have dreamed of trying to be able to Definitely do. Definitely not. Tell us, tell us what kind of leaps and bounds have you guys seen so far? Well, you go, Marina. That's really sure. young. Yeah, I mean, you know, prosthetics started out Civil War era. You were, we were using metal and leather, carved wood sockets. 
nowadays, most things are acrylic laminated. The things that we make custom are oftentimes we're using scanning software that was not available 20 years ago. Has probably been available maybe for about 10 years now, but keeps getting better and better. Something that you can just plug into an iPhone and scan around your patient way easier than using this big clunky handheld scanner. So yeah. technology just keeps- and How much of that can you do in-house versus you have to send out to uh, outside factory? Usually with the scanning, you'd, you would send um, the scan to a central fabrication facility unless okay. your company is big enough that they have a milling machine that can then mill the shape. And do those come from, um, you, all of a sudden you just made me have this horrible vision of supply chain issues. And I'm sorry, your leg's not here. It's on a ship somewhere. <laughs> For the most part, we've been doing okay, I think, Alan. What do you yeah. think? Well, yeah. we, part of the new technology, we sort of are, as green as you could be, because there's a lot of discarded materials, unfortunately, in the prosthetic industry, we reutilize all our acrylics, we grind up, and then the new, new machineries that we have use the ground up materials and reuse it for our um, fitting sockets. But we're just waiting. We were a victim of um, the pandemic. Uh, one of our newest pieces of equipment that we just ordered two years ago, which is probably obsolete by now, but it's not using um, uh, filament, it's using resin. And oh, we, yeah. So now we can actually 3D print a, a, um, the um, final socket as compared to pulling it in acrylic. And that's really cutting edge because you have to be willing to make a big investment in the machinery. And we use Essential Fab, ours is right here in Davie, Florida. And because we're mobile and with the new technology, we just send, you know, electronically all the to central fab. Next thing you know, that uh, 3D print, actually we have 3D printers in a lot of our offices. So for check sockets or the fitting socket, we could do it local, but then the definitives are all going to be made um, in Davie and then shipped to, you know, the individual offices. But it's pretty cool stuff. Nice. Yeah, that is really, that's, that's, I, I was not aware that we had something local like that. That's great. That's really nice. See, these are the fun things you learn on this show, everybody. Um, so uh, tell me about that. We're going to take it to, not to a dark place, but just to a slight twist for you. I want to hear what your guys biggest failure is because we always celebrate successes. And one of the way you get a success is to recognize where you failed and then fix it and go be better. What's the biggest failure you guys have had in this that you've had to deal with? Girls first. <laughs> in terms of a field, um, the thing that, that frustrates me the most about being in prosthetics is um, how constrained we are about what we can fit by insurance companies. Yep. And I wish, I think a big failure on my part and a lot of prosthetists and orthotists part is not getting more involved in lobbying we're such a small field, nobody really cares about what's going on. And it's very hard for us to advocate for ourselves and make sure that we get paid for the devices that we fit because we can't fit the fun, exciting new technology um, unless somebody pays for it. Yeah. We unfortunately have to keep the lights on in our shops. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and pay our um, and I'm, our I'm To bounce off Marina, um, I'm also a uh, member of the ACA, which is the Amputee Coalition of America. Actually, I'm one of the representatives here in Florida. 
um, the main thing that how I got also involved is their peer visitor program. And I'm also one of their trainers. I teach amputees to talk to amputees. Um, if I don't know if you were done, but I would give one of my negatives because I do counseling um, is that as much as I tell my amputees that they have to work hard, physical therapy, occupational therapy, they're under the impression, and I just had a big disappointment in my office today. Everybody thinks that they'll put the leg on and they'll just start walking. Um, I only know of one case that from the out of the starting gate that that happened. That was me. I almost have to lie sometimes. It's called poetic, poetic license, I call it. I literally got up, put my prosthesis, my fitting socket on, which I didn't realize that it could have just snapped. It wasn't even fiberglass wrap, and oh, no. I went out walking, and uh, I just thought, I, in my mind, I started to walk before I got fitted. And that's what I tell my my patients. You got to start walking. You know, I have a patient; he's seventy five years old. I said, even if you were a slow learner, you're walking for seventy three years. I says, nobody's got to teach you to walk. Just have faith in the product, especially on below knee patients. Also, above mm -hmm. knee, it's a lot of hard work. It's not as easy. So now we talked a lot about feet here. Tell me about hands or other prosthetics that you guys have been working with. Um, I know we're not quite at the, you know, Star Wars, you know, thing Pretty yet. Close. Pretty close. Pretty I, I'm, I'm, tell, tell me about that then. Fill me in. Well, I'm, I'm, Marina will give you the real technical stuff. Oh, yeah. Let's go. Yeah. We have Michael. Processor, myoelectrics, fully articulating fingers, rotating wrist. The trick to that is the occupational therapy that teaches how to fire your muscles, whether it's your pectorials on some of that's a above elbow, um, and it depends how much of the limb is left. You know, we, we don't flex the muscles, like the sensors feel the voids when you flex the muscle. And it, it, I saw one guy, he was incredible. He was an above elbow. Um, amputee, and he had an articulating fingers and hands with pressure points. His wrist would rotate, his elbow would actuate. This guy, I mean, he was just a natural. I mean, I was in awe. I mean, it's really something. I mean, he even picked, he showed me he was picking up an egg and it wouldn't crush the egg. I mean, he had that much control. I mean, it was so super. I was stoked for him. Really, I mean, his, but Marina can tell you also the average American non military is not getting those devices. Oh, yeah, no. They're getting a <laughs> scapular controlled or what I call the shoulder shrug. And it sort of looks a little um, cumbersome. It's heavy, whether it's a claw or a hand looking device. And that's right now what insurance is paid for. Workman's comp may pay for a myoelectric articulating arm or a, a trauma, whether it's a car accident, if they had enough insurance. And of course, for our veterans, you know, especially anybody that lost limbs as a result of war, they're getting the top-notch stuff. It's, Good. Um, but the average American, you can't walk without two limbs. You can, yeah. If you have great occupational therapy, you can live with one arm. You don't see a lot of Americans here in America without with a lot of artificial. I would say 
every patient out of our 10 patients that come in with upper extremity limb loss, I say only two or three actually go ahead and get um, upper extremities, whereas 98% of people that lose lower extremities go for a prosthesis. Yeah. Tell me about that, Marina. Oh. What kind of other stuff do you do? Well, the thing with upper extremity, there are a couple of things. One is um, about half, maybe half, I'm going to say half of uh, upper extremity amputees are congenital. So they're born without. Okay. Um, and they do really, really, really well without a prosthesis. And it can often be very hard for them to learn to use a prosthesis because the muscles in their limb, they've never used them before. And when you put a socket on somebody's arm, you take away all that sensory feedback that they had. And so a lot of people end up, you know, getting a prosthesis when they're two or three and then just never really wearing one until maybe they become an adult and they want an activity specific prosthesis. I have one patient in particular who likes to do CrossFit workouts. And so he just wears a prosthesis to do his CrossFit workouts. Hmm. And, uh, and the, the rest of the time, he's really, really functional with just one arm. Well, other, Marina probably yeah. fits plenty of people when they get a, um, a upper extremity prosthesis. She'll customize the terminal end or the mm -hmm. end. There's, there's, nowadays, if you play golf, there's a special terminal end for that. If you're a bicycle rider where it grips the handlebars specifically, it is such cool stuff that people like uh, Marina do, the prosthetists. I mean, I'm in awe of them. I mean, they're dedicated people to what they do, and they have to have very creative minds to constantly, continually you know, take the person and make their life better. Yeah. Now, do you think, Maria, you, you touched on this earlier. I, I, I'm beginning to understand now that we're really not at, at a loss of imagination and not even at a loss of the ability for a lot of this stuff. It's really a cost factor slash insurance yep. failure point. Absolutely. Um, yep. Although there, where, where does that happen? Tell me about that. No, there, there is some aspect that um, we do need more um, engineering help in our field, absolutely. You know, companies are constantly coming out with new devices that they are getting passed through Medicare, which is great, means we can fit them to our patients. Okay. There's work to be done, both on the surgical end and on the prosthetic device end as well. So having, um, especially upper extremity, the big problem is control. So if you think okay. of your hands, how many different motions you can do with each of your fingers and your wrist and your elbow and your shoulder all at once. You need a lot of points of control. And so what they're doing nowadays is called targeted muscle reinnervation. It's this really neat surgery where they go in and they take a nerve and they put it on an external surface like the pectoral muscle and it mm -hmm. goes into that muscle. And then if you put an electrode array on that muscle, you can kind of track every single motion of the arm and the wrist and the hand and use that okay. to control the prosthesis. It's very cool. Intuitive. Yeah. But without that kind of surgery, it's yeah. very hard to find the number of control sites you need to have a prosthesis work intuitively. Do you, what's, what's the percentage you guys think is, uh, electronic of prosthetics now versus purely mechanical like we've done here in creation station we've printed for the enable project 
um, which is if nobody has seen before, you know what? I should share that up on the screen. I suppose I can just do that. Um, the enable project is something where you can take and you can see this young man here with his 3D hand printed hand, um, where you can go in and take and build and 3D print any kind of um, uh, a hand device kind of thing for people. Um, those are all very rudimentary, very simple, straightforward stuff that anyone with a 3D printer can help out. We've we've done some some stuff for some people uh, in South America, et cetera, where they don't have access to the healthcare we do here. But for you guys doing that, I mean, how much of that, what's, what's the percentage from that very low end thing to, as you were saying, the, the top of the line, fully microprocessor thing, what's that range like nowadays? Well, it's um, the 3D arms that we see a lot of times, like MIT had, uh, we donated um, 3D printed arms for some kids. Uh, with children right off the bat, um, is I think an Outback restaurant, I don't know if they have them up in your area, but there's something called the Blooming Onion, where you can peel off. And yeah. for children, they have to use inserts to, to, to accommodate for growth spurts. And I have a picture, I think one of the pictures on my personal website is a child in the progression of all his prostheses as he's growing up. That's one problem. And, but insurance companies are pretty cool with that. They don't have a problem with that. Um, there's another technology that's going to eliminate, well, it's old technology in Scandinavia, but new technology in the United States, osteointegration, where they're actually, I think the FDA just approved for um, above knee amputees, where they do a, um, a prosthesis device that goes into the femur, and then there's a connective device where you no longer, you're actually walking without a socket, which to above knee amputees is cool, but there's still a lot of downsides to that. Um, you can't get it wet that much. You can't go swimming in a pool or in the ocean. It's prone to infection. On the upside, you're connecting an artificial knee, regardless of mechanical or myoelectric, right to your to your femur, and you're gonna walk. I mean, it's 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 more natural. It's not as invasive. You know, imagine you know Robert putting a flower pot uh, up on yeah. your thigh and coming all the way up into your groin and up on your hip flexors and on your buttocks. It's you know, for my above knee patients, it's it's not comfortable, but I always use this gesture with my hands. Walking, uncomfortable. Walking, walking's always gonna win out. So it's, uh, but the, the move is to make things easier and simpler. You know, Marina could tell you probably her biggest complaint from patients is it weighs too much and it's uncomfortable. And in reality, most prostheses weigh less than the natural limb. It's just unfortunately, huh. It, it, it we um, have like mine. If imagine it more like a pendulum, it's I'm a I'm a uh, what they call a locking pin fit. If they ready, I can have I have actually whatever I want suction vacuum. I like the old fashioned. I guess I'm a dinosaur, but I like that locking pin. When I hear those clicks, click click click, it's not coming off. And the weight. My wife gets mad at me. I tell a story when I I teach it some. PTA and OTA, which is physical therapy assistants and occupational schools about prosthetics. And I tell them, 
when I first got my prosthesis, I thought it weighed about 20 something pounds. Went to Publix, put it on a scale. It weighed, at that time I had a pretty big limb. It weighed six and a half pounds. And I, and I said, wow, I couldn't believe, it. I thought the scale was broken. Well, <laughs> three months later, I come home, I tell my wife, Vicky, her name's Victoria, Vic, Vic, she says, what? You're not gonna believe this, the prosthesis lost weight. <laughs> the truth of the matter is, I did my therapy, I did my exercising, I got stronger, my endurance, my stamina got better. And that's where we have a gap, and Marina could probably tell you where we fit somebody, it's a good fit, but they still got to put in that extra work. It's like, it's like playing the piano, or if you're an attorney, you got to read the law books or see case law. Um, you got to put the time in anything, and it'll become worthwhile. So how about that, Marina? What kind? How much time have you been putting in on this? Oh, sure. Probably time. Sure. It's pretty smart. Yeah, the thing about new technology, Alan's right. Uh, you know, the patients who really need it, we can justify it through their insurance companies and often get it fit, especially with lower extremity. Microprocessor knees have been on the market for 25 years at least now. I think the sea leg came out in the 90s or early 2000s. Don't quote me on that. But um, there, there's a lot of great technology out there, but you do have to be at a certain level to be able to really utilize it effectively because it is heavier and it does require you to plug it in. And, um, but it's gonna do a lot more for you than just a simple mechanical device would do. And so there is that trade-off between the weight of the prosthesis and the function of the prosthesis. And obviously, absolutely, getting a socket, that's the part that goes onto the residual limb. Getting a socket that fits correctly is the most important part because if it's not fitting correctly, it is uncomfortable and it feels much heavier because there's that extra motion in there between the socket and the leg. It's not hard attached to the bone. So if it's not tight and it's turning, yeah. it's not going to be comfortable. So let, let me ask, where is the um, drawing line, I guess, for that? For like, we've talked a lot about, you know, arms, wrists, you know, feet, things like that. I'm guessing um, transplants, where, where, I guess my, my idea is where does the line go between an artificial transplant of something like an artificial heart, mechanical, versus a prosthetic? Where in the professional field do you guys draw that line for? Are prosthetics only on the outside of the body or what? The way we define it in our field, prosthetics are the parts that we're adding outside the body. There are internal prosthetics. Those are hip joints, knee joints, okay. also called Shoulders. Mm -hmm. Yeah, teeth. Yep, yeah, without a doubt. The other thing is, um, I saw a documentary on it. I don't know how they did an arm transplant, and it's not that long ago. It's been within the last two years. And a, I would imagine trying to do transplants of human body parts. A is getting a donor, and B, making sure that the. I mean, that's got to be. I mean, I don't know if insurances will just pay for it because. Joining nerve endings and muscles and ligaments and tendons, I would imagine it could be a hundred thousand dollars, two hundred thousand in surgery bills to get something like accomplished. Um, 
I, it always, you know what, in America, it always comes down to the old mighty buck. It's, and, uh, and now that you bring that up, Alan, I do want to ask you guys, do, since you guys are both in the field and, and well-versed in it, is it that the United States is an advanced in the technology, but we're not advanced in the ability to give it out to people? How is Europe, China, Africa, South America, how are they doing versus us for in the field? My gut says, I think, and I know Marina may or may not agree, I think we're well ahead of all the places. I mean, yeah. I just had a patient come up. I think it was from either Brazil or Colombia. And if that patient couldn't walk um, right after surgery, you know, with one limb, 50, 100 feet, they they were disqualified for a prosthesis. Um, here in America, you know, they're, we're fortunate. Most people are getting some sort of prosthesis, whether upper extremity or lower extremity. Um, on lower extremity, I don't know how it's up in your neck of the woods, but we're contracted with, I think, three or four dozen different insurers. Medicare is great. They'll pay for a microprocessor knee, especially if there's justification. Um, mm -hmm. Marina talked about a power knee. Imagine an elderly gentleman, he has an above knee prosthesis and he had a hard time getting up when he had two natural legs. So that power knee, when it literally will start helping him stand and, you know, it's not great for everyday walking, but all times not walking a whole lot anyway, but getting up and yeah. down, getting from a, uh, a couch to a, to a um, dinner table chair or something. These are all the important functionalities important too. I think from a, a technology standpoint, even though we do like to rag on the insurance companies sometimes, they really do pay for quite a bit more than yep. you see elsewhere. The, the problem tends to be that a lot of insurance companies will have a 20 or 30% co-insurance that the patient is responsible for. And because prosthetic devices are so expensive, a lot of people can't afford even that 20%. You know, an above knee prosthesis will start at maybe ten thousand dollars and yes. go up to a hundred thousand from there. So okay. paying, you know, two to twenty thousand dollars out of pocket is a lot for some people. But people do find ways to make it work. There are a lot of really wonderful organizations out there supporting amputees and helping them to get to the devices that they need. And in a lot of uh, countries, you don't even have access to this type of technology. Yeah, but it is nice to have. Well, I think also a lot of prosthetic companies also step up. South Beach, um, I'm on the uh, hit. I have a target on my back from the owner because I end up authorizing a lot of prosthetics and prostheses, mostly lower extremity to people without insurance. And um, he had to pull the plug on me because when I added up what we gave away last year uh, was over a quarter million dollars in because the owner turned around and said well that person is going to benefit from a leg and even he can't say no i meant yeah he, he's a real generous guy and there's a lot of companies out there that do that regularly and not for listen and we don't do it for publicity you know i mean god bless hanger they're good but when they give something away it's on the news and, yeah. Yeah, definitely but, but it's okay that yeah. patient still got what they got 
and that's important. Um, I, um, that's why I love what I do. It's, um, I, I deal with a lot of trauma hospitals, a lot of indigents. Today I was driving back to do this um, webinar and I, I was almost late because I stopped on a avenue, it's called Dixie Highway and uh, it's in Pompano and I saw a guy in a wheelchair and I stopped. Um, he had such a bad, uh, Marina could tell you, it's a knee contracture. It was, mm. it was so bad. As much as we do knee contracted prosthetics, um, he was bad and I wouldn't have been able to help him, but he didn't even have ID or now I didn't even care about the insurance, but, uh, he didn't even have, ID. we need, we still got to get doctor's orders and stuff. There's still a lot of restrictions, but there's a lot. I'm, I'm pretty sure Marina's company and uh, South Beach does it. If somebody's in need, we step up for this limbs for life, um, is one of the organizations in the United States. Um, there's quite a few of them. And then the most prolific one. Is called GoFundMe. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately. I mean, yeah. I mean, there's a gentleman that works with us now. He's an IT guy. He was in between insurance, uh, and his girlfriend started a GoFundMe, and we matched him dollar for dollar, and we got him his prosthesis. And uh, now he, he ended up now he, well, but I better talk nice about him because next thing I know, my phone will shut off on me. But he'll, uh, he's, but. <laughs> Yeah, I mean it's all cool, and and there and I know Marina is looking at her face and the smile she has on it, because I can see her when she delivers somebody their prosthesis, and they get up and they walk for the first time maybe in a month or maybe in, in a year because if they were diabetic it was a long time healing, but you see that person get up and they see the light at the end of the tunnel, and that they're going to be able to get back to whatever the situation was just prior to the loss of limb. So, Absolutely, Alan. That's what makes our job so special, is being able to be in a place where we can help somebody get their life back. Yeah, independent. Somebody asked me if I could run with my prosthesis, and I looked at them, I said, I didn't run when I was 30 years old. Why would I start running now with a prosthesis? Uh, it's, it's an old job. But then I stopped somewhere and I never tried. I guess I can run with it. not like the Blade Runner in the Olympics. And by the way, it is not an advantage to have two below knee prostheses in the Olympics because that was the complaint. Having a natural limbs is still the way to go. So I don't advocate anybody having an amputation to do better in sports. Yeah, no. Although, Mariana, he, he leads me into an idea here. Um, one of the other terms when I was doing the, my research for the, the show today um, for exoskeletons, and mm -hmm. it, it kind of seemed like, okay, exoskeletons are not prosthetics. Um, but how about that? How does that work in that field? It seems it, it, with all of your mechanical stuff, it seems really closely related. Absolutely. And I did work for a company at one point. We were thinking about going into exoskeletal fittings. Um, along with Spalding, which is a big rehabilitation hospital up here in the Boston area. Um, they're really interesting devices, and I think I would term them more under the umbrella of durable medical equipment. Okay. And orthotics also falls under, as do wheelchairs and walkers and all that different stuff. Um, dialysis equipment, I think, also falls under durable oh. medical equipment. Okay. But, so skeletons are really interesting for people with spinal cord injuries. They really do augment what your body yeah. can 
do more so than a prosthesis usually does. Yeah, and um, unfortunately, there the last I saw the technology is not quite there yet. I've seen people walking in them in a rehabilitation setting, and they're really great for rehabilitation of muscles and just training your body how to move correctly. The sequencing of gotcha. motion. Um, I haven't really seen one in the wild yet, but I'm excited yeah. to. The thing that I've seen is for you know, mostly through the VA is they're trying to integrate the nervous system into those exoskeletons where the brain you not the brain is actually saying take a step, take a step, and that's where it's at. And then also there is I don't know if the term is correct, but I have a um a swim leg that's actually mm -hmm. an exoskeleton for um mm -hmm. that where Traditionally, we think of um, a, a socket that goes around the residual limb, whether it's an artificial knee for above or below with no knee, and then a pylon in the foot where the, ex the exterior is the supportive device between the socket and the foot. And I'm, I'm going to be building a new one shortly made out of 100%. My old one's made out of acrylic. It's kind of heavy, uh -huh. but when yeah. you go into the water, it doesn't matter. But I'm making it's one out of, uh, it's almost going to look, um, I just asked the lab to look into it. It almost looks like um, lacing. Yeah. Lacing. And it's going to be pretty cool looking. And I just have to get it, wrap my brain around that I'm not going to have a supportive titanium pipe underneath my socket. I'm going to rely on this carbon fiber shell going down to my foot. But uh, it'll, it'll actually reduce... And by the way, Robert and Marina can tell you this. A lot of times people say, make my prosthesis lighter. And they always say, how much lighter can you make it? How many pounds? Well, it's always ounces. It's never pounds. It's, um, you know, the reason I have a black carbon fiber socket is that I probably reduced it by five or six ounces in the acrylic that we use to make traditional sockets, you know, with the laminating and the laminating material. I eliminated a whole coating. Um, we use, I'm pretty sure they use the technology up in the Boston area. We usually use aircraft quality aluminum components or titanium. But unfortunately, that all, depending on the company and their policies, bites into the cost of making a prosthesis. But down here, it's, you know, with the hot weather, you know, it's, um, we got to make it as light and cool as possible. And they also the technology is the way we connect, um, what was that, a dolphin's tail? Was a yeah, that's exactly. You said that, uh, Marianne. Tell me about this now. He, yeah. Alan, was talking about going in the water. I'm like, wait a minute. So wait, if you've got somebody, you could like put a fin, just put a whole dolphin mm -hmm. tail on, and now you can go spend time in the ocean, go spend time mm -hmm. in the in the pool on this. They make yeah, and there are companies making them. Yeah, I mean, I've seen the Little Mermaid things with that <laughs> that the women wear, but you could make a real tail that could really work. Oh, absolutely. There's oh, a, man. There's now a we're really competing in, in the Olympics. Yeah. <laughs> there's a company in Maine that makes a really fun swim fin. I think it's called the swim fin. And huh. uh, basically a socket with a big fin on the bottom of it. It's really great for below knee amputees. Right. Once you get above the knee, you need some extra articulation for the knee. And I was actually okay. just with a, um, a high school class. They needed a design project. So we gave them that as their design prompt to see if they could make a swim prosthesis for an above knee amputee that would give them the range of motion where they could really use the flipper effect mm -hmm. 
not wear their hip out. And uh, they came up with some really cool 3D printed designs. I was really impressed. Nice. Yeah. So there's again room for creativity. Yeah, there's room for there's room for improvement, and and yeah. we have we yep. have a good looking future for us. That's what I'm hearing you guys tell me, which is a good thing. Absolutely. And the biggest thing is mindset of us amputees. It's um, like I said, I when I was told that they have to take my leg, um, and my answer was, well, if it's going to preserve life, go for it. And I didn't even know anything about the prosthetic industry at that time, but I knew I'll be walking again. And I think that's why I went into the counseling end of it because I do pre-amputation consultations for uh, my vascular surgeons where it's a planned surgery. And I let people know, listen, this is not end of life. It's a bump in the road. And this has just been a bump for me. Unfortunately, growing up, I've had a couple of bumps, and sometimes I think my loss of limb is, was the least of my bump. But uh, it's uh, but I thank I want to Marina's you know her young lady in this field is huge. It's um, so I can see that her patients probably do exceedingly well. We try very hard. They don't always make it, but we try very very hard to make sure that they have the best quality of life possible. Yep. And and that's a self determination. Yeah. One last thing for yeah. Marina to, to wrap up on here. Um, you kind of mentioned on that in an indirect way. What's the gender ratio here in the field? Is it more? I mean, nursing is way more female mm -hmm. oriented. Being a doctor is it about 50 50 nowadays, but engineering is way towards the male side of things. <laughs> yeah. How was it I was, in this field for prosthetics yeah. people? Yeah, it's a good question, actually. There are more and more females entering the field nowadays. Um, it's quite apparent, actually. Um, I know in you know my boss of my company, his generation, almost completely male. And nowadays, I was, my graduate class was a little bit atypical, I think, but there were eight women and one poor man. <laughs> wow, <laughs> nice. I think it's, it's more 50-50, generally speaking, these days. Yep. I would think so. That's, the class. that's a very yeah. good sign. That's good. That's yeah. good signs. Yeah, we did a engineering um, one of these a few months ago, and it was all women engineers. And it was like, yeah, see, they're not hard to find, folks. We can do this. Yeah. We can pull this yes. off. Um, this is the library, so I do have a, a library thing I got to share with everybody here because there is a brand new book that just came out that fits this topic perfectly. It's called Nor, um, Nendia Akofar. Oh. Cora for is how she pronounces her name. Um, and it's all about someone who is an amputee and has two replacement legs and a replacement arm. Um, and it's uh, set in modern in a slightly future um, Africa. And it's it just came out here in November. So if anybody um, is looking for a good read and ideas, because that book fits in perfectly with exactly what you guys have both been saying of how complicated some of the machinery can be, it talks in there about her struggles of having to learn how to use and you don't just walk and forcing yourself through that pain to get up and do stuff. It's a really interesting um, story and it's a, it doesn't focus on the prosthetics. It just is part of who she is and she's going through her life. And I was like, huh? And this thing just comes out two weeks before my program. This has got to be, I got to read this one now. 
So that was, it was a really fun thing. Thank you both very much for being here with us today. I think everybody learned a lot about what the field can be and, and hopefully we all seen some future for, uh, for this thing. Um, it, I know it's already been an hour. We, we've already flown right by everything. So let me throw up our final slide here again. This was great uh, creation station monthly. Uh, Marina and Alan will both will have their websites up for you so you can go follow and see what they've been doing out there. If you have any questions for them that you want me to forward along, creationstation at broward.org will come right to me. We look forward to seeing you guys all next month. Have a great time. Thank you so much, Robert.